out there? Anybody out there that's willing to raise your hand? Okay, can you, right here, yes, yes, come up here. All right, we have our volunteer or victim. All right, tell everybody what your name is. Heidi. Heidi, this is Heidi. And Heidi, what's your favorite color? Blue. Blue, did you watch the royal wedding? Yes. Okay, uh, who's going to win American Idol? I don't know. All right. Um, and one last question. This is a hard one. How many cylinders are in a V8 engine? Eight. Eight. Good. Okay. Good. Very good. All right. Well, here's what I need you to do today. Um, I want you to stand with your feet together like this, okay, and just stand straight and tall as you can. All right. And I am going to put my hand here and just push just a little bit, and, and you just keep standing straight up, okay? All right. Maybe that's your bad side. We'll try over here on this one. If I do the same thing again. All right. Okay. Now, let's try it this way. I want you to kind of spread your feet a little bit and get a stance and get a little lower. Okay. There you go. Look at that. And I'm going to try the same thing. Okay. That is your good side. We'll go over here and try this one. Okay. All right. Give Heidi a hand. Thank you. Now, let's talk about just a second here what the difference was there. Okay, can you, can you tell me what the difference was? The first time I tried to put her and exerted very little pressure and she went over. It was what? Somebody said it? Foundation. She braced herself. Foundation. Foundation was the word that I was looking for. It's all about foundation, isn't it? And the second time, it took everything I had, and I still couldn't move her because she had a wider foundation, was lower to the ground. Today, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture where Jesus talks about foundations. If you think of the sports world, we understand foundations, don't we? Think about baseball. Derek Jeter, shortstop, New York Yankees. I mean, do you ever see a shortstop when the ball is coming? They get wide, they get low, they're ready for the ball to come, Right? Go to football. You have a linebacker. Linebacker is looking right in the quarterback's eyes. He's low. He's wide. He's ready to react. In basketball, when someone plays defense, they get right in front of the person. They get low and wide because there's a foundation there that's very difficult to, to, to move somebody or there's a lot of strength when you have such a foundation. All right, let's, let's talk about automobiles. All right, we have a car going around a corner. There's a picture of an SUV up there. Then there's a picture of Lewis Hamilton and his F1 McLaren. Any Formula One fans in the house today? All right, we got some Formula One fans here. I like that. All right. So if you had these two vehicles going around a corner, which one would go faster? Pretty easy, isn't it? It'd be the race car. Now there's like wings and downforce and all. But a lot of it has to do with the foundation, the center of gravity, the width. So the, the SUV, it's kind of almost topples over, you know. It, a race car is all, everything's low to the ground. You got the weight there. The SUV, you know, you got cup holders for your Starbucks and you got your GPS up there and, you know, it's top heavy and you go around a corner. So we understand that foundations when it, when it comes to things like that. But Jesus is going to tell a little story today about the foundations in our life and why they are important, and then compare and contrast two different individuals. So if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to be looking at a passage starting with verse 24. It's a passage that we find in the Sermon on the Mount, which the Sermon on the Mount is, starts in Matthew 5. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, talks about a variety of different topics. And today he's talking about foundations. And um, 
So we pick up in Matthew chapter 7, starting with verse 24. He starts giving us this analogy between two different kinds of people. All right, so let's look there. I think they'll have the verses up on the screen. This is Jesus speaking here, and he says, anyone, which means everybody, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. So let's just stop right there. Jesus gives us the measuring stick for wisdom, and that is obedience. Because obedience then equals wisdom. So he said, anyone who hears, so a lot of people hear, but then he said, but then follows is wise. So he calls all of his listeners, all of his people to not only listen, but then to obey. But then he uses a simile to create kind of a vivid comparison and description here at the second part of verse 24. So he says, this person who listens to my teaching and follows is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. So we understand solid rock, and we understand building a house on it, I was thinking the first thing that came to my mind when I was putting this stuff together was, you know, I'm always amazed when I go to Chicago and see the Sears Tower. And I look at that and how tall it is, and there are winds, and there's storms, and, and yet this, this, this tower just stands so tall. So I did a little research, and I found out that when they built the Sears Tower, they dug a hole 100 feet deep. Then they took 200 of these steel casings and bore them down into the ground, into the bedrock, And then they poured in that hole with the steel enough cement to build an eight-lane highway five miles long that all went into the foundation of the Sears Tower that none of us will ever see. We never see that. When you go to Chicago to go to the Oprah show, you never, ever see that part of the Sears Tower. All All you see is the part sticking up. But the part sticking up would never last and never make it if it wasn't for the part under the ground because it's the foundation of the Sears Tower that, that keeps it standing up. So Jesus says that a person who listens and obeys is like a person who builds his house on the rock. Verse 25. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house. Kind of sounds like our weather the last two weeks, doesn't it? Yeah, we, we all understand that. But, but Jesus is speaking metaphorically here because what does the house in this little story represent? It's us, right? It's our lives. The house is our lives and the way we live them and the decisions we make. And then what do the rain and the winds and the storm represent? They represent the things in life that are difficult. They represent tough times. They represent um, financially losing lots of money. They represent broken dreams. They represent illness. They represent those things in life that are difficult that we all experience. And it's interesting to note in this passage what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say that those people who listen and obey me will never have storms come in their lives. Now that's kind of interesting because we kind of think, well, if we do things God's way, then our lives are going to be easy. They're going to be cake because I'm, I'm like doing God a favor and doing what he says. So then my life is always going to be easy But it doesn't say that here. It says the storms come. They come regardless of of which person it is. The same storms come. So there's there's no way to just do what God says and then means that we avoid all the difficulties of life. It doesn't work that way. So Dan, what you're saying is that if, if I do what God says, then I might still lose my job. Absolutely, you might. So if I do what God says, then um my 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 mother won't contract cancer. 
No, it, Jesus never said that he promised that our lives would, would be easy, but he says when the storms come, the person who follows and listens and, and obeys has built their house on rock, and when those storms come, then they will have the ability to withstand them. If you were here a couple weeks ago, Abby Hankton gave her testimony uh, before she was baptized, and one of the things that she said, and I talked to her about this just before the service, and she was saying that people have asked her about this quote, but she said something very beautiful in her story that just stuck out to me, and this is what it says. It's up on the screen. A lot of people have asked me if becoming a Christian has made my life better. Good question. Mm, No, I wouldn't say that. But I couldn't go through everything that I'm going through right now without it. Now that's pretty real and pretty raw. But that's exactly what Jesus is saying in this passage. He's never promising that the storms are never going to come to those who go to church and read their Bible. It it never says that. It says the storms will come. But if you look at the second part of verse 25, there's a promise that it, meaning our, our lives, the person who follows and listens and obeys, it won't collapse because it is built upon bedrock. Why won't it collapse? Because of the foundation, right? Because of the foundation that that person built upon trusting who God is and doing things according to God's principles and precepts, then they're able to weather that storm because there's a foundation that's strong, it's well prepared, it's intentional, and it will last. Now, We've all seen what happens to like a mobile home park when it's in a tornado or high straight line winds, right? I mean, the little mobile homes just kind of get tossed around like tinker toys. And we, we understand that like from an engineer could explain it is because a mobile home doesn't really have much of a foundation. It's just a house that's kind of like sitting there, you know, got some straps holding it to the ground. But it doesn't really take a lot of wind to really topple a mobile home. So what Jesus is saying here is... is when there is a strong foundation, when those storms do come, the person who has listened and put my words into practice is like the person who then has the ability to withstand that storm. Because he goes on to talk about the contrast in verse 26 of Matthew 7. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey, he has a name for that person, he says, they are foolish. Now what does it mean to be foolish? What does it mean to be a fool? A fool is a person who knows right from wrong, a person knows what they should do and shouldn't do, but decides not to do what they should do and do what they shouldn't do anyway, and they don't care about the consequences. It's like, whatever. You know, you know if you do that, it's not going to be good. Yeah, whatever. You, you know, I'm just warning you, if you go down that path, it's not going to leave. Yeah, you know, whatever. I'm good. I don't care. All right? That's what Jesus is saying is the foolish person. So the person who hears his teaching and chooses not to obey it, he says, is foolish. Now, I want to share with you a principle now that if you don't hear anything else today, I hope that you'll just get this. So if you're thinking about where you're going to eat lunch or you're texting a cute guy or, you know, daydreaming or whatever, just focus in, give me 30 seconds here, and then you can go back doing whatever you were before. All right? Here's a principle that, that, that is built around what Jesus is saying. Obedience to God's truth protects us from regrets and leads us to freedom. Obedience to God's truth protects us from regrets and leads us to freedom. You see, listening is nothing. Doing makes all the difference in the world. 
Because a lot of people listen. They listen. They hear things. But, but unless you apply what you've heard, it doesn't really make a difference. I mean, there is no gain in simply hearing. There is only gain in applying what you hear. Let's get real for just a moment here. I want you to think in your life. Okay, no, you're not going to have to tell this to anyone. Think in your life when you've made the biggest mistake you've ever made in your life. The thing that you regret the very, very most in all of your life. If you could go back and you could have that in your mind, would having more information have changed anything in the decision or the poor decision that you made? For me, no. It, it, it was not about an information issue. Because typically we have information. We have lots of information. We have so much information, we don't know what to do with the information. For me, and I would guess for a lot of you, it's an application problem. It, it was that we, we I didn't hear, need to hear another sermon. I, I didn't re, need to read another book. It was, I knew all the, the answers. I just chose not to obey or apply what I knew was true and foolishly made a choice or choices that I later regretted. Do you think people drink and drive because they think it's safe? No, nobody thinks that's safe, do they? Do you think people get addicted to pain medication because they think they're taking vitamins? No, they don't. Do people have affairs because they think it's going to strengthen their marriage? No. Do people cheat on their taxes because they think somehow it's going to help the government? No. The answer is no to all those. But people do those things anyway. Right? They know, they know, they know, but it's not that they need more information. It's an application issue. The problem is not a lack of information. The problem is a lack of application. So obedience to God's truth protects us from regrets and leads us to freedom. All right, let's go back to Jesus' story because he goes on with the analogy. In the second part of verse 26, because the person who listens and chooses not to obey, he says, is like a person who builds a house on sand. How many people have ever built a sandcastle? All right, yeah, you've gone to the beach, Fort Lauderdale, Panama City, uh, maybe is on the East Coast, and you've built that sandcastle, and you put lots of effort into it, and you made it fancy, and you did all those things, and you were proud of it, and your mom said, good boy or good girl, and you took a picture of it. Now, how many of those sandcastles still exist? None, right? They're all gone. And why are they gone? Well, the waves came in, and you know, the tide came up, and a storm came in. And I mean, you can build the best-looking sandcastle there ever is, but it's not going to last. That's it's exactly what Jesus is saying here in a way that applies to our own lives. He's saying the person who listens and doesn't obey is like the person who builds their house on sand, that at some point the storms are going to come, and when they do, there are going to be consequences. So that begs the question to me, why would somebody do that? If Jesus says this, why in the world would somebody build their house on sand? I mean, because at first glance, it's like, well, I don't want that. I don't, I don't want to build my house on sand. I mean, I don't want, uh, Dan, if you're saying that like these waves are going to come and going to make my life and mess it all up. I mean, like who in the world wants that? And yet it happens all the time. So why would a person build their house on sand? Let me give you three quick reasons. Number one, it's easy. It's easy to build a house on sand. It doesn't require much to build a house on sand. It's, it's very simple. Have you ever taken a drill and drilled into concrete or stone? 
Okay, that is not very easy. If you've ever seen them build a, a big building and seen how much time and effort they put in the, into the foundation, it is not easy. Building foundations are not easy. Building foundations on sand are easy. They're very easy. That's why people do it. In Matthew 7, verse 13, same chapter, just a few verses earlier, Jesus says, For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, but only a few will find it. Well, why is that? Because the narrow road is not that easy. It's easy to build a house on sand. Second reason people do it, it's cheap. If you've ever built anything construction-wise and uh, or had anything to do with building a home or something like that, you know there are things called building codes. Building codes, they are put in place so that you have to do something a certain way so that it will last or it will be safe. All right? So the bank will not give you your loan to build your house unless the contractor follows the building codes. But it would be a lot easier to build a house and a lot cheaper if you didn't have to follow the building codes. Because to follow the building codes, it, it takes time, it takes money, it takes energy, and it's not as cheap. You can cut corners, you can save yourself a little money if you don't follow the building codes, but in the end, it, whatever you're building, your house or whatever, it, it, the building codes are there to help you. So people build their house on the sand because it's cheap. It's easy, it's cheap. Third reason, it's attractive. Because when you watch television, when you look on the internet, when you read a magazine, when, when you see the things that the media glamorizes, it looks so attractive. I mean, there are all these people that are doing this. There's everyone out there just living their life and lives and not even thinking or worrying about tomorrow. And it all seems like it's all working out, right? It all seems that way because it's attractive. I was driving in the car this week and I heard a song and when I heard it, I thought, did I just hear that, really? So I, I turned it up a little more to listen. And after I heard it, I, I, I got, got the words of the song, and I went and I did a little research. And it's the brand new single by Avril Lavigne. How many of you, some of you know her? Which, uh, okay, here, here is the chorus of her song, her brand new hit single. She says, tells all the world, all my life I've been good, but now I'm thinking, what the hell? All I want is to mess around I don't really care about if you love me, if you hate me, if you can't save me. All my life I've been good, but now, whoa, what the hell? That's what she says. And people are like, oh, i got to download that on iTunes. That's awesome, man. That is like whiz. I'm like, is she really saying that? Like, wh wh according to what Jesus states here, I mean, what do you call a person who listens and chooses not to obey? He said you call them foolish. Because... If she, you know, I don't know if that's the way she actually lives. She may just like write the song and not live that way. But if you live your life that way, I mean, is, is it going to end up being like in a good spot? I mean, is that really what you want to do? Is that going to lead to things that, you know, at some point you can look back and go, oh man, I'm really glad I made those decisions. But people choose to live their life, build their life on sand because it's attractive. I mean, you don't don't worry about the consequences. I'll just do it now, and you know, I won't worry about tomorrow. I won't worry about in the morning. I won't worry about next month. I won't worry about next year. It's all about now. And that's why people do it. It's easy, it's cheap, and it looks like a lot of fun. But then Jesus goes on in verse 27 to talk about the storms that come to the person's life who chooses not to listen and obey. Verse 27, 
when the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against the house. Now, some of you, if, you, if you're news junkies, or maybe if you're not, I mean, you, you've seen what happened last Wednesday in the southeastern part of the United States. I mean, when they first started talking about that Thursday morning, I was like, really? That, that many people? And then every day, it like went up and it went up. And, and at this point, they're saying over 350 people, Americans, died in, in, in Alabama and the surrounding states because of tornadoes and storms this past Wednesday. That, that's a lot of people. I mean, that, that's more people than are in this room that, that perished because of storms. So we understand that. We, we know what tsunamis do. We know what storms do. We know what hurricanes do. We see that. But, but, but let's talk about it in, in, in the context of life now, the things that we, we don't necessarily see and aren't physical. But let's talk about it in our, in the, in our souls and um, in, in the things that are invisible and decisions we make. I did a little research today. Um, last year, 1.7 million children were born out of wedlock. That's up 25% from five years ago. That accounts now for 40% of all the births in the United States are born to single moms out of wedlock. Sexually transmitted diseases reached an all-time high in the United States in 2009. The United States leads all countries worldwide in the number of divorces. There are more than 1.6 million bankruptcies in the United States last year. There are more than 1,500 people per day that die of cancer. There's no shortage of storms in this life, is there? I mean, I could go on. We could just pull up more statistics. There are no shortage of things that are like not good, spinning out of control, consequences to actions. I mean, we could go on and on and on and talk about them. The fact is those storms are, are real. Jesus said they would happen. But Jesus goes on to reveal a very different outcome in the second part of verse 27 to those who listen and do not follow. He says, it, talking again about their lives, it will collapse with a mighty crash. So Jesus is prophetically telling us what we know to be true. Have, have you ever been around someone whose life crashed? Have you? Maybe, maybe it was you or maybe we all think about, you know, you think about the Tiger Woods thing that happened, and we kind of saw his life crash on national television and in the media. But have you ever personally been around somebody whose life falls with a mighty crash? Relationally, financially, morally, spiritually. If you ever have been there, you know, it's that point in their life when they have no idea where to go next. They have no idea because of decisions that they've made or what they've chosen to do. They're just numb. They're just reaching out for anyone to help. They have no idea how they're going to make it through another day and what to do. As a pastor, I've had way too many phone calls where I've had to um, go and meet with someone in an office or at their house or sit down and I hear a story of heartbreak about someone whose life has just crashed. And it, it's never fun. I mean, they're, they're weeping, they're devastated, they're confused. Because when life crashes and there's a mighty crash, no one wins. And of all the times when I've met with people who have, have made choices in their lives, so somehow their, their life crashed, I've never met a person that needed more information to keep them from getting where they're at. There's never a part, you know, if I would have just, if I would have heard one more sermon, man, I don't think this would have happened. If I, if I had gone to church one more time, 
It, it was never about the information. It was always about a choice to not apply what they know to be true. Because listening is nothing. And doing makes all the difference in the world. I want to now share with you um, two promises that um, I think that we can take from this story that Jesus gives and apply them to our lives. And, and my hope and my prayer is that every one of us would hold on and cling and, 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 and just grip these promises. Here's the first one. Maximum freedom is found under God's authority. Maximum what? Freedom. Maximum freedom is found under God's authority. Now that's a little contradictory to what the world teaches us. But, but isn't that what we're all te- searching for? Is, that, is it really that, that freedom to know that we wake up in the morning and um, there's freedom in our lives? Because we said earlier, obedience to God's truth protects us from regrets and leads us to freedom. God puts rules and God puts principles in his word not so that we will have boring lives, not to keep us from having lots of fun, not to like ruin our Friday nights or make spring break a bummer. He puts those in there because ultimately God knows what's best for us and he wants to lead us to a life of freedom. So maximum freedom is found under God's authority. In 21 years of being a pastor, there are several things that I've never heard people say. One of them is, you know, I wish I wouldn't have waited to be, I wish I wasn't a virgin when I was married. I, I wish, I, I, I don't know why I saved myself for marriage. I've never heard anyone say that before. Never, never, never has anyone ever said that to me. I've never heard anyone say, you know, I wish I would have gotten drunk more often because that would have really helped me out. You know, my life would be in a better place if I drank more and I got drunk more and then just think, I really think things would be better. No one has ever, ever said that to me. No one's ever said, you know, I look back and I wish I would have spent less time with my wife and kids because I think that would be better. I think our family would be stronger if I spent less time with my wife and kids. No one's ever said to me, you know, um, if I only would have told more lies, I, I think that would have helped me out. Because if I, if I would have told just a couple more lies, then I think I could have like got myself out of this web that I was entangled in. No one has ever said that to me. No one has ever said, my problem is I don't get angry enough. You know, I just need to have more rage. I need to, you know, I need to break things. I need to be uh, more bitter towards other people. And I think I would be happier if I was that way. Never heard anybody say that. I've never heard anyone say, uh, the reason that I'm in this place today and the reason I've made all these mistakes is um, I went to church too much. I prayed too often, you know, and I've got involved in this small group of people and we studied the Bible together. And if I never would have done those things, I think I'd be in a better place today. I've heard never, no one ever say, you know, the reason that we had to file bankruptcy, the reason that, that my finances are in ruins is because I decided to tithe and give 10% back to God like he says. I've never heard anyone say that. Why don't people say those things? Because no one would have regrets for doing those kinds of things, would they? Those are not regrettable kinds of things. Those are things that God asks us and instructs us to do, and when we choose not to do them, then when the storms come, then when we fall with a mighty crash, we kind of wonder, well, how did that happen? Because maximum authority is found, maximum freedom is found under God's authority. Second promise that we need to hold on to today. When you see as God sees, you will do as God does. 
When you see as God sees, you will do as God does. In the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 2, we see this verse. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. That's building a foundation of sand. And then he goes on to say, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Because when you see as God sees, you will do as God says. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and perfect and pleasing. You know, the bottom line is we could save ourselves a lot of heartache. We could save our parents a lot of sleepless nights. We could have our wives and our our spouses and our kids thank us a lot if we would follow what God has given and, and build our house and our foundation on rock and follow the, the design that God has given us for our lives. This last uh, Sunday, past Sunday, which was Easter, right? Easter night. Yeah. I did something that I've never done before in my whole life, and I hope to never, ever, ever do it again. Uh, my wife, Pam, one of the best decisions I ever made was to marry my wife, Pam. Uh, she has, for years, wanted a hot tub. For years, wanted a hot tub. So, you know, so we're like, okay, well, we looked at the prices of new hot tubs, and we're like, woo, okay, that's a little bit outside of our budget. So she's like on Craigslist, you know, nightly looking for this hot, hot tub. So two weeks ago, she finds this deal. It's like, she's like, this is the one. I have found it. So I'm like, okay, we go look. We go look at the hot tub. And yeah, it's like, it's pretty nice. And look at what the guy's wanting. We're like, you know, he was moving. He needed to get rid of it. He needed to unload it. So it was like, the price was right. So we wrote him out a check that night. And uh, we decided to become owners of a hot tub. So how many people in here have ever moved a hot tub? (laughs) You were there. Okay. A few of us have. Okay. I had never moved a hot tub before. Okay. But I had people tell me, you don't want to do this yourself. And I'm like, come on. Like, do I look stupid? I mean, I am, I am a reasonably intelligent person. I can figure out how to move a hot tub. They're like, I'm telling you, this thing is really heavy. I'm like, you know, it's heavy, but I mean, that's like, not to me and people that I know. I mean, we can pick it up and we can, we can move it. They're like, you really need to get somebody who knows what they're doing. And I'm like, I, I think I know what I'm doing. So last Sunday night, me and 11 of my family members attempted to move a hot tub. We, we actually got the hot tub from the backyard to the front yard. And because of, um, self-preservation and reason, we decided to sit it down or maybe drop it would be a better word. And at that point realized that, you know what? This is not going to work. Uh, That hot tub is a lot heavier than uh, what I thought. And um, I don't really know how to carry a hot tub. I don't know how to move a hot tub. I really didn't have a clue what I was doing. And and, in in all of my humility, I, I learned a few things. I finally succumbed to the humble realization that, you know what, I, I, I needed to not do this my way. See, I kind of get this, this cheapness thing from my dad a little bit, okay? I inherited it from him of like, you know, why pay somebody to do something when you can do it yourself? Okay, that, that works some of the time, but dad, when it comes to moving hot tubs, it does not work very well, my, <laughs> my dad's advice. So I finally succumbed to the realization, and on Monday morning, so I got this hot tub in this, the guy's front yard that we bought it from, half on the driveway, half not on the driveway. I got family members going like, oh my goodness, we're dying. Luckily, no one did die. 
And I had to pay $350 for a guy on Monday to come and get the hot tub and move it to my house. But in the end, you know what I realized? I realized there was a better way to do it than what I originally thought. That my way wasn't really going to work. And when it comes to the story that Jesus is telling today, there's a lot of us that have those hot tub stories or that think, you know what? I know what it says. I don't need more information. I think I know what I'm doing. I'll live my life my own way. I know people warn me about consequences, but you know, come on. I mean, like, I'll just be careful, okay? And I'll just navigate it quickly and I'll make good decisions. And in the end, we find ourselves with lots and lots of regrets. I have a friend named Dan Sullivan, and uh, he, I've known him for over a decade, and he's the closest thing to an Old Testament prophet that I know of. And, and I don't even know else how to describe it. He's just a guy that says these profound things sometimes, and I'm like, wow, I don't, you blow me away. He, he writes on Twitter this week, and I was looking at it, and I read it, and I'm like, this is exactly what we're talking about. This is what he wrote. And he, it's a quote, he got it from somebody else, but it, it, it applies to what we're talking about. This it says, the more you understand how your salvation isn't about your behavior, the more radically your behavior will change. The more you understand how your salvation isn't about your behavior, the more radically your behavior will change. The whole story about building your house on the sand or the rock, the motivation for us to listen and obey, shouldn't be because we're necessarily always scared of you know, God's consequences, or the motivation ought to come when we understand the sacrifice that God made by sending his son Jesus down here, the love that led Jesus to the cross. When we understand fully that kind of love, that love becomes the motivation for our behavior to change. We're going to move into a time of communion, and we uh, take communion every week here at Exodus. And in just a moment, I'm going to pray, and then the band's going to come up, and they're going to sing. And while we do so, there'll be people to my right, people here in the center, and people to the left. And um, if you're one who's pursuing who God is, and you want to build your house on the sin, you are invited to come today, or build your house on the rock, I'm sorry. You're invited to come today and participate in communion with us. We take the bread, tear it off, dip it in the juice, and then you can take it right then. You can take it back to your seat. There's also people that will be at our prayer room, which is to my left, your right, and there are going to be some people in there that are going to be praying. If you want someone to pray for you today, uh, for whatever reason, whatever's going on in your life, there will be people that would love to do that. If, if you're not sure about this whole God thing, and, and you're not even sure where to get started, or what it even means to build a foundation on rock, there are people there that would love to pray with you and talk to you about that and answer your questions and to help you get on the right path. So um, I'm going to pray and then we're going to move into our time of communion when we remember God's love and the sacrifice that Jesus made so we could all have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your words today. I thank you for the stories that Jesus told. And um, Father, may you help it to burn in our minds that um, the application to what you say and what you give is, is everything. And Father, um, our obedience to your truths will uh, lead us to freedom and will keep us from a lot of regrets. And you didn't, you, you say that out of love because Father, you are the one who created us. You are the one who invented life and you are the one who knows what's best. And so as the owner, as the creator, we look to you for that wisdom. We remember now the sacrifice that Jesus made by dying on the cross the, the payment for our sins and our mistakes and our poor choices. And Father, we thank you that you have not only um, 
made that sacrifice from Christ for, for a one-time deal, but Father, he goes on and on and on, and, and that is the beauty. And when we understand that type of love, it leads us to wanting to, to live a life and be in a relationship with you that's just a beautiful thing. So thank you um, for dying for us while we were st- still sinners. And Father, thank you for the beauty of the cross and the blood of Christ that covers a multitude of sins. And it's in Jesus' name that we say this prayer. Amen.
There we go. It was on mute. My fault. All right. Uh, a couple of things. Doug's going to come up here and tell you an excite, of an exciting opportunity we have to partner with the Boys and Girls Club. Before he does, just uh, one other quick thing. We have a women's retreat coming up here three weeks from yesterday, and May 21st. So there's more information about our webpage. But if you'd like to get involved with that, um, we have some women that are putting together uh, a really um, impactful Saturday morning. And uh, I'll close this with prayer in a few minutes than we do. If you can help us by taking your chairs and stacking them over there against the blue wall, that would be a big help. Sure. Well, the, the Boys and Girls Club has a, a need for tutoring, tutors. Um, they have a program called Mitch's Kids, and especially for this, the end of the school year, from May 9th to June 9th, 3.30 in the afternoon to 4.45. And if I've, I've talked about this periodically, but if anyone has that sort of availability, I'll be in the back and, and give you more information. And it's a fantastic ministry and, and a great way to, uh, to help out the kids here at the Boys and Girls Club. So thank you. Thanks, Doug. All right, as M- Matt mentioned earlier, uh, give me a show of hands of people that are either graduating or moving from Bloomington maybe in the next month or so. Raise your hands held high. Okay. That's really sad, but happy. We're happy for you, but uh, all right. Keep your hands held high, okay? How many, of you pe- how many people in here will be going home for the summer? And, okay, so several of you are there too. So uh, we just wanted to acknowledge that. We realized finals are this week, and for a lot of you, you may not be back here or you may be around, but, um, you know, uh, we have been so blessed that you've attended Exodus, and we hope if you're back in Bloomington,